sustained us, rediscovering church. And I just have to tell my life, my heart has been changed and is changing through this. And, and I hope yours is too. If not, go check out some of the podcasts and, and, and just stay with us. And I, the second to last week, I would normally be sad that this was ending, except for the fact that on the very next week, which is Easter Sunday, we are launching a new mini-series, a four-week series called Set Free. And it is going to be epic. So invite your friends. Bring your friends on Easter because they feel like they should say yes. It's Easter, right? So they'll come, and they're going to get blessed in radical ways, and they're going to want to stay throughout the uh, four-week series and just get set more and more and more free. And it's going to be beautiful. And so I'm excited about that, which helps me deal with the grief of no more I need us. Now, um, in 1984... In 1984, a, a man by the name of Dr. Neil Postman, who at the time was the chairman of the Department of Communication and Culture at NYU, he wrote a book, a, a very important book, and here it is. It's called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Now, it is not, as you might think, the brainless monster body-crushing crashes of lunatic thrill-seekers on the show Ridiculousness, right? It's not. Okay, younger people, you're going to have to explain that to the older people after the service. But it's not that. What it is, is Postman, as a media guy, not critical, not saying technology and media is bad, but his point was this, that in an era, and this is what? 1984, which is like 30, almost 30, what? I, I, I can't do, you want me to do the math in my head, right? It's like 25 years ago. Or that. I'm going to pastor to do math. 35 years ago, he's saying, this is the era of television. This is the era of Hollywood. This is the era of broadcasting. And it's for all its beauty, for all its goodness, it is making us as a culture addicted to amusement, addicted to entertainment. And it is taking, he said, important things like news and world events and history and politics and religion and relationships and turning them into entertainment and giving us an appetite that we would not tolerate these important things, that we would neglect important things unless they could be made amusing and entertaining and boiled down to a 30-second video clip. And he said, so, so my fear, right, long ago, is that we would have less life even as we seek to have more life because we've filtered it through this consumption, right? And now Postman has since died. And he's being hailed as, as a media, as a culture prophet. Because years ago, not only the things that he warned us about have not only come to pass, but have been exponentially made more and more severe. And so I, I don't necessarily, although you could pick this up and read it, but I think that what Postman says and, and his, the root of what he's saying has immense spiritual implications for us and in fact has become 
maybe the most uh, grave threat to followers of Jesus Christ and to his church. Maybe today it wouldn't be called amusing ourselves to death. Maybe today it would be called consuming ourselves to emptiness. Right? Maybe that's what it would be called. And, and it's worth debating. It's worth debating whether we just don't know. We don't realize that this pattern of consumption is the pleasurable but pointless track toward emptiness. Maybe we don't know that, or we do know it and we just don't care because this kind of consumption is too pleasurable to quit. So that's worth debating, but we, we need to get down and we need to uh, ask some important questions. We're calling today consumerism, chasing dissatisfaction. Chasing dissatisfaction. Now, what does this have to do with us? Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, if you, if you are in fact one, uh, as the body of Christ, as people whom Jesus lives in us, we are not supposed to be people who are desperate to consume more and more. Why? Because we've already got the most precious, the most valuable, the most wonderful thing. We already have it. We already have it. So we are to be examples of deep satisfaction. See, consumption, and we're not just talking about um, food or media. Consumption in, in, its, in its chronic form is is rooted in dissatisfaction. So, so we who have Jesus Christ living inside us, right, this Holy Spirit breaking out all over the place, should be the most deeply contented and satisfied people on the planet. And yet often, if, if you and I are honest, if you and I are honest, we have parts of our lives that we would describe as consumers who are chasing dissatisfaction with all our might, with all our time, and with all our resources. Now, um, let's be honest. Like We are all consumers to some degree. We're meant to be. You need to be, because if you're not a consumer to some degree, guess what? You die, right? So, so there's that thing. You can't quit consumerism. Cold turkey, we weren't meant to. But we do need to ask some, some important questions. What role does consumption play in my life? Am I consuming the things that give me life or to ste that steal life from me? That's what Postman was saying. Am I attracted to consuming the things, this is a spiritual question, that will make no eternal difference? Or am I attracted to consuming the things that will matter? A hundred years, a thousand years, an eternity from now. Now, Sky Jathani uh, is uh, an author, an editor, uh, or former editor of Christianity Today. He, he put it this way. He said, the problem is not consuming to live, but rather living to consume. The problem is not consuming to live, but rather living to consume. So the question becomes... Are, do you and I consume to live, or do you and I live to consume? Like, uh, just if, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, or you are, look, um, in a purely practical sense, consumerism 
is a trap. It's like a, a hamster wheel. It's always going, but it's never getting you anywhere. Because look practically, um, if you are hyper-consumptive, if you are always consuming, you don't even get to enjoy the thing that you are now currently enjoying. Why? Because when you're in this mode, you're always thinking about the next thing you get to consume, right? Because there's a discontent that feeds that. I know this because I used to live, I spent a, a large part of my life in New Orleans. And, and the people in New Orleans, God bless them, anybody, that we have a dysfunctional consumeristic relationship with food, right? I had to escape to live, right? No, um, but here in New Orleans, I kid you not, the topic of conversation at breakfast is where you're going for lunch. What you talk about at lunch is where you're going for dinner. Each place more spectacular than the one before. And that sounds fun, but it is destructive and fattening. But the same way, in the same way, you can't truly enjoy or be thankful for something when your eyes are always on the next thing you're going to consume. And in New Orleans, they're proud of it. The saying goes, others may only eat to live, but in New Orleans, we live to eat. And that goes back to what Jathani was saying. The problem is not consuming to live, but rather living to consume. And that is the problem. Living to consume, it leads to chronic dissatisfaction. Chronic discontent. So, God wants to rescue you, wants to rescue me from lives of dissatisfaction and discontent and emptiness, even as we have more and more consumption and more and more stuff. So this was the situation for his people, Israel, because they were experiencing this and they were neglecting their relationship, their dependence, their desperation on God because they were focused on making their lives more and more comfortable. Can anybody relate to that? Does that sound like it should be removed from us 3,000 years? That's what they were facing. So here it is through the prophet Haggai. Take a look. God said to his people, he said this. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. If you're an underliner, please underline it. Consider your ways. Stop. Stop. Look deeply at yourself and think. Be analytical. Be pragmatic. Pull it apart. Look at your life, he's saying. And this is something, look, if you're anything like me, we resist self-reflection almost as much as we resist repentance. But God says, do it. Do it. It's the pathway to life. Look at yourself. And, and then he's going to go on. He's going to say, I'm going to tell you, if you're honest, what you're going to see, he says to them. Consider your ways. You have sown much. You've planted much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You, you drink, and some of you drink and drink and drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. Another way to say this is, you never seem to have enough clothing, right? 
you, and he who earns wages, she who earns wages, does so to put them in a bag with holes. You're doing better, you're working harder, you're making more, but your lifestyle is outpacing your earning, so you're going into debt. And so you have less. In other words, in other words, you are always consuming, never filled. You are always accumulating, but never satisfied. You're always striving, but you're never getting what you're striving for, and you're left empty. And God wants better for them. God wants better for us than that. He wants, a question that might come up is, if, if God wants better for us than that, then how come, how come he allows situations where we can feel this hurt of, of not having, uh, of not being filled, of not, look, look, look right at me. And I, and I tell you this because I love you. For, for some of us, the times of hurt that God allows are the only times he has your attention. And the best for you is to know and love him for eternity. And if he has to keep you in difficult circumstances in order to keep you in his love, that's mercy. But you and I, you and I could do some of this deciding for him by, by turning our hearts to him. So, so before we get into another message, right, we're, we're going to go on, right? God wants better for you. So God asks us this through the prophet Isaiah. He says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, which, which doesn't fill you? And, and why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? He's saying, he's saying get off the hamster wheel. Right? Stop doing all of those things that leave you dissatisfied. I want better for you. I want satisfaction for you. I want fullness for you. I want contentment, deep contentment for you. Why, he asks. Well, he gives the answer through Jeremiah, the prophet. Here it is. Take a look. He says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out or carved out for themselves cisterns. You know what a cistern is, right? It's a big tank that holds rainwater, collects it. And, and carved out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So we're going we're gonna to pack this because this, is, this, is, this leads us to the answer. So uh, let's take a look at it. Um, God is using a metaphor here of a people group, people who are dying of thirst, right, in a desert land. They are dying of thirst, right? And who's he talking to? Is he, is he talking to people who don't know him, who don't follow him, who don't believe in him? Who do? No, no. He says, my people. If you're an underliner, you want to underline my people, right? He's talking to those who know him, who claim to follow him. He said, my peeps, they have committed, like us, right? That's who he's talking to. He said they've committed what? Two, two mistakes? Two, two bad choices? No, no. Here are the words. He says, 
two evils. Like, this is serious stuff. This is serious stuff. We need to, we need to hear it and take it seriously. It's, it's two evils. This is not just us missing the point. This is us doing the exact opposite of the point. This is us running to the darkness. This is us um, falling on our own knives. This is us um, not being led by the Spirit of God into more and more life. This is us being led by the spirit of darkness into more and more destruction. And this needs to be us hearing and saying, thank you, God, for stopping this train and turning it around so that I can have more of you and more of life and more of fulfillment and, and contentment and satisfaction. Right? That's what it's saying. This is not a, a bug bite. This is a flesh-eating virus, and God chooses strong words. Why? Because this is an intervention with people that he loves so much that he would eventually trade his life on the cross for them. So, important. So what is, uh, as we unpack, what's the first evil? That they have forsaken me. Okay, you want to circle forsaken me. What does forsaken me look like? right? They've forgotten about me, who I am, who I am to them, right? And who they are to me. See, when we forget how loved we are, it's easy to wander. But when you know how much he loves you, why would you ever go, right? So what else does it look like? Why do we do this? We get busy. We get busy with good things, but we get too busy for him. We get distracted. We seek life, joy, peace, and satisfaction in things and people other than God. That is consuming and chasing discontent. Chasing discontent. Dissatisfaction. God bless you. Ask yourself this if you're not sure. If you're not sure, this is you. Am I following Jesus because he is who I want, honestly? Or am I using Jesus to help me get everything I want other than him? This is not a question that we're comfortable with or we'll often ask ourselves. But the word of God will ask us this all the time. Do I want God for who he is or for what he can get me apart from him. That's, that's a big deal because the second part of that is kind of the definition of forsaking him, right? Back to the, uh, back to the verse. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. They carved them out, broken cisterns that hold no water. Now, I don't want you to miss the awesome um, irony, the incredible irony in this. Do you see the irony? It would make Alanis Morissette's head spin. That, you know, middle-aged people, you're going to have to explain this to the younger people and the older people afterward. You know, we're, we're an equal opportunity cultural reference person. Okay, so I want you to take these people who are dying of thirst. They turn their backs on the fountain of all living water. 
right? The ocean, the bottomless reservoir of what they crave and what they need, and they go somewhere else and try to do it for themselves. He's saying, you are leaving the very thing that you are thirsty for, that I am more than willing to overflow upon you. And yet you choose not to be there. You choose something else. Isn't that ironic? Don't you think? Oh, come on. That was a little funny. All right. What's the second evil? What's the second evil? They have hewed out for themselves cisterns. They, 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 they don't return to me. They're still thirsty. So then rather than return to the ocean, the fountain, the source of all living water, they are going to carve out these cisterns, these tanks that are going to catch rain, right? Which he sends, by the way. And they are going to store it and that's going to be their source because they don't need God to find this. But there's a problem. The cistern is cracked. It is broken. It leaks. And my next door neighbor mistook it for a hot tub. So now there's floaties in it anyway. And it's emptying by itself. But we would rather repair the broken, shattered cistern in our lives then return to the fountain of living water. He's like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So now, we have to get honest. Whoa. We have to get honest, we have to get real, and then we need to get eaten, right? Let's ask ourselves some questions. What is that thing? What is that thing that you're chasing to find life and joy, and satisfaction other than Jesus. That's your broken cistern, which is leaving you empty. This could be a person. It could be a goal. could be a career. Not bad things, but also not the source of your life, joy, and satisfaction. What is that thing for you? There's a blank there. Nobody else needs to know. God already knows. You already know. Put it down there. Because we're going to use that. If you don't know, ask yourself this. How would you complete the sentence? If I don't have blank, I can't have the life that I want, the life that I need. By the way, the only right answer the only true answer, the only returning to the living water answer is Jesus. But if we're honest, we're broken people. So for you, what would you say? I, if I don't have this, I can't have the life that I want or need. What is that this for you? If you're a parent, and many of us are, um, the weight that is on you is that you are not just filling this blank in for yourselves. You are teaching your children how to fill in this blank in their lives with something, with either Jesus or something else. And, and, and I love you, but I, I don't want you to be shocked. If your kids go off to work or off to college when they leave your home and forget about God, if you and I have spent their entire childhoods 
helping them fill this in with something other than him. So let's know that they're watching and you're helping them. Not only get this right for ourselves, but get this right for them. Because so much of what we do here, so much of what we do is, is to try to, I mean, the students whom we adore, like adore, would lay down in traffic for, who know Jesus Christ and have filled this blank in with something else to call them home. And everybody else who hasn't even gotten there. And so that's like a heartbeat. But you have the chance to, to change that. Okay, so do it. Jesus put it this way. He says, oh, no, I want to I ask you this first. How much more of what has never satisfied you in the past is it going to take before you realize that it will never satisfy you in the future? Just practically. Right? God put a whole book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes, to answer this question with a guy who has more resources than any of us ever will. Who could test all of this? So see, it doesn't work. More of what has never satisfied you in the past, it's not going to satisfy you in the future. So Jesus puts it this way. For what does it profit a man, a woman, to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Her soul. But see, I've known this verse for, what, 35 years? I'm doing the math. probably 40. And I really didn't think that that was the choice I had to make, right? Because I, I, I'm convinced that me and people like me think that we're the only people who can manage both, both of these things, where I, I, I can have the world and I can have Jesus, right? Now, no, you wouldn't say that publicly, right? Only I do that because like, I'm not right up here. But I thought that I could do both, and you can't. Jesus says you can't. And, and here's the thing. The fact that part of me still wants to is evidence enough that he does not have my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole soul. Whether or not you do it or try it, the fact that I want to is evidence that he doesn't have all of me. Maybe you're there too. So, so God has a solution. God always has a solution. He never diagnoses a problem and goes, good luck, you got two months. No. No, he brings us the healing, and here it is. Uh, we're not going to do that here. Okay. He says, come, everyone who thirsts. That's us. We're thirsty, right? Right? Come to the waters, the, the living waters you've been seeking in every other place. And he who has no money, don't worry. You come, you buy, you eat, you drink. Come, buy wine, buy milk. That's the essentials. That's more than essentials, right? That, that's the stuff we want without money and without price. Why? Because as the hymn says, Jesus paid it all. He has bought all living water, all the satisfaction, all the freedom, all the fulfillment, all the contentment you could ever need, you could ever want. Why? Here's the verse we looked at. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? 
Why labor? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen, diligent to me, and eat what is good. That's what I want for you. Filling a deliciousness of your soul and delight yourselves in rich food. I'm not asking you to limp through. I want to I fill you to overflowing, to deep satisfaction. Incline your ear. Lean in. Come here. Because here's what's at stake. That your soul may live and not wither under dissatisfaction. There's another way of saying it. Come to me. I've paid the price. Eat and drink of me. Stop chasing dissatisfaction. Come and be satisfied with me, in me. Listen to me. Eat of me. Hear, return, and live satisfied. Satisfied. Some of you said yes to Jesus. Some of you have not yet, but, but, but you're ready to because, honestly, you are sick and tired of being dissatisfied in your soul. In your soul. And, and, and let me tell you what many have already discovered and others are in the process of discovering, that everything else promises everything and cannot deliver only Jesus satisfies. And that in itself is a gift. Because if he didn't give us dissatisfaction in everything other than him, even the good things, we would never find our way home. So let our dissatisfaction lead you to satisfaction in him. For those of you who, who are ready, you're sick and tired of being dissatisfied, you know in the scripture Jesus uh, pictures it as a house. He says, I want you to see you in the house and me outside the house, and I'm standing at your door knocking. And, and some of you have heard that because he's been messing with your mind. He's been messing with your life. He's been messing with your sleep. And, and you know because he's tugging at you. He is pulling at you. That is his knocking. He says, I'm knocking. Why? Because I want to come in. And if you will hear that, which, which you already have, and you will open the door, I will come in. And you will be satisfied. Not just here and now, but forever. So if this, if this is you, bring the lights down. I, just, I, just want, us to, I want us to pray. Just make this your prayer. Lord, I've heard you knock. I have heard you knock. And Lord, I am sick and tired of being dissatisfied with everything but you. I'm turning away from all of that to, to be my life. And I'm turning to you to be my life. Lord, right now, the best way I know how, I'm putting my hand on the doorknob and I'm turning it the door to my life, to my heart, and I'm opening it. And I know, I know that you will come in, come in. Lord, thank you. Thank you for dying and letting yourself be destroyed in my place on the cross so that I could find life and fullness in you.
Forgive me. Fill me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Thank you. Thank you for saying you're in and you'll never leave. I surrender all. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you, or if you've been there, Jesus has saved you, set you free from chasing empty things that never satisfy. So stop chasing them and return to Jesus and be filled. This is the meal of the filled. This is the meal of the satisfied. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the blood that washes us clean. Come and eat and be filled. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he thanked his Father in heaven. He broke the bread, gave it to his friends, and he said, Take this, all of you, and eat it. Consume me. This is my body broken for you. Do this in memory of me. After the meal, he took a cup of wine. Again, he thanked his father. He gave the cup to his friends. He said, this is the cup of my blood shed for you. And for all, so that sins may be washed away, forgiven. Take this and drink it, consume it, make it part of you. And when you do, I want you to remember how much I love you. If you're in, but broken, this meal is for you, right? I don't care if you're Catholic, Protestant, nun, whatever you are. You belong to Jesus. This is your meal. He died to give it to you. This is us being the right kind of consumers. I want to consume that, which is life. So some of us, some of us need to repent or turn around and be saved. Some of us need to turn and be healed and revived. But all of us need to turn and come and eat. The banquet is before you. More than you will ever need or feel brave enough to receive is offered to you. You come. You come. Jeremy, where are you, man? Jeremy's going to stand by that door. I'm going to stand by this one. As you pass by us, if you need prayer for that or for anything, I'd love for you to just stop and, and, and receive a blessing or something. I love you.
it's time to be satisfied.